Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Imagine being a boy forced to attend school dressed in a girl's uniform. Imagine being a girl banned from the girl's bathroom and too afraid to go in a stall surrounded by boys. Imagine being asked again and again by other kids, are you a boy or a girl? Imagine having your deepest sense of self refuted by adults in authority. Imagine the routine stress of being a transgender kid. We're going to talk about transgender children on the program today. And uh, later in the program, we will be talking with Ann Travers, Associate Professor in the Department of Sociology and Anthropology at Simon Fraser University, and author of The Transgeneration, How Trans Kids and Their Parents Are Creating a Gender Revolution. We'll also be talking with Denise Dowling, who is Associate Professor in the School of Journalism at the University of Montana. Uh, She is producer of a radio documentary called Alex Not Amy, Growing Up Transgender in the Rural West. And we begin the program uh, with this documentary. It's uh, 29 minutes long. Let's hear this. Alex, not Amy. <laughs> I almost died. I thought you were going all the way. The three O'Neill kids are checking out a new sledding hill. On top of the hill, Karina, 13 years old and the big sister. I can make it. At the bottom, 8-year-old James, the baby brother. And Alex, the 10-year-old middle child, ready for the first run. But the person that makes it closest to the fence wins. The O'Neill kids live with their parents in a small town in the Rocky Mountain West, a pretty typical white working-class family, with one big exception. Until just this year, Alex was known as Amy because everyone, even his parents, thought he was a girl. And I drew a picture of a girl, like an x-ray, and drew the brain and said, um, girl's body, boy's brain. An overheard conversation set Alex on a path to legally and socially change his gender identity. Because they're just like, what? What? (laughs) Uncharted territory for Alex, his family, and the rest of his community. Well, now it's not your daughter anymore. So, you know, that kind of crushes some people's dreams. Yeah, I'm losing a daughter, but I am gaining a son. I don't want to be in the middle like a tomboy. I want to be all the way to a boy. This is his story, Alex, not Amy, and what it was like to become, to the world, the boy he always was inside. I knew I wanted to be a boy, for real. Christmas Eve, we're going to make a lot of cookies, so then on Christmas Eve we can watch The Grinch. Ten-year-old Alex O'Neill is growing up in the Rocky Mountain West against a backdrop of discrimination. Then you hear stories of people who are, you know, bullied and killed and maimed and all this kind of stuff for being transgender. His parents, Mark and Cheryl O'Neill, worry. I don't know what the future is going to hold and I don't want anyone to be able to go out on Google or anything else and uh, use it against them. It's for those reasons the identity of this family is guarded in this story. According to a study by the Williams Institute at UCLA, here's the reality for transgender people in the United States. 28 transgender people died by homicidal violence in 2017, the most ever recorded. 45% of transgender young adults consider suicide. 78% of transgender kids who experience violence at school attempt suicide. So it was tough for the O'Neills to be optimistic about Alex's future. But let's go back, back to a time before Alex was Alex. When we had our first kid, uh, I was about to write a book. Uh, because I thought I was that good of a parent. A second child came along two and a half years later. They called the baby Amy. Kind of a sullen little baby. (laughs) Didn't really smile very much. When we had our second kid, he came out with a scowl on his face. And he basically had that for two years. Looking back, Cheryl thinks she saw some clues to the unhappiness watching her kids play. Always the boy, the groom, the wizard, the husband. So that was kind of that was a bit, pretty big clue. The O'Neills knew something was up with the child they called Amy. They just weren't sure what. I never really said he's he's going to be a boy, but I I always sort of thought he would be the the boy like kid. You're eating all of them? 
I thought that's why you put them on the plate. That was not your plate. The family always refers to Alex as Alex and him. The girl, Amy, never comes up and only does here to make this story easier to understand. For the first years of his life, Alex was treated like a girl by everyone who knew him. And why wouldn't they? He was, from all appearances, female. But when he was just past toddlerhood, he began to rebel. He started not wanting to wear girls' clothes really early, like maybe four or five years old. And he never really said that it was because they were girls' clothes, but he'd always have some excuse, like they were too soft or they were too scratchy or, you know, they didn't feel right on his skin. And so um, so he always kind of got his way as to what what things he wanted to wear. This is the only case I can think of where a child believes themselves to be in a social category that everyone else, at least initially, does not believe they're in. Dr. Christina Olson at the University of Washington in Seattle is conducting a 20-year study following hundreds of transgender kids and measuring their mental health through puberty and into adulthood. Olson's sample group comprises 3- to 12-year-olds from across the country who have socially transitioned at a very young age. Kind of between the second birthday and third birthday, the majority of kids will come to very clearly and regularly identify themselves as a particular gender. The study will measure basic gender development and if and why kids persist or switch back to their natal gender. They'll record the support these young people get from their families, schools, and communities. The study will even look at the impact of location on mental health of transgender youth. It obviously seems like it would be very hard to be transgender, especially in certain uh, parts of the country. In the rural West, only three-tenths of one percent of adults identify as transgender. But a recent survey by the Williams Institute at UCLA shows a remarkable 27 percent of California teenagers consider themselves gender nonconforming. I think it's a hard position for parents to be in to decide what to do and to have so many people expressing such strong opinions, many of whom have maybe never met a transgender kid. The children in this study have the support of a parent or guardian who is allowing them to express their gender identity. You know, is this a good decision? You know, what are the implications for a child's well-being? 41% of adults who are transgender attempt suicide. Is this uh, anything like a solution to that problem. The early results of Olson's study are positive. But um, the fact that they were doing as well as they are doing was uh, was pretty surprising to me. Um, When Olson began her study, she worried about finding 50 willing participants, but she now has nearly 300. Alex is not part of the study, but he does fit the criteria. People who didn't know us would refer to him as a boy, And we sort of were always correcting them. It was kind of annoying, actually. Um, And then we'd ask him, do you want us to correct them? Or do you want to correct them? You can say I'm a girl. And he'd be like, oh, I I guess. Or it doesn't really matter to me. Or, you know, and so then I started changing it to, do you like it when people call you a boy? And he said, I do, kind of. So Alex started kindergarten, still known as Amy. He dressed like a boy and hung out with the boys at recess. But a problem started for him in the girls' Um, bathroom. I was, like, wearing boy clothes and stuff, and I would walk in there, and they would kind of be like, I think you're in the wrong bathroom. So he'd get off the bus and run home as fast as he could so he could go to the bathroom, which I didn't realize either until he told me later that he was not going all day long. I'm kind of a a goody-goody, and I didn't feel like, I felt like that would be breaking a rule since I wasn't really um, legally a boy. So the O'Neills asked the principal to make an accommodation. Because the principal, the principal is willing to let him use a different bathroom, but not the boys' bathroom. The principal suggested Alex use a bathroom in the gym down a long hallway from the other bathrooms. He still didn't use it regularly because it was out of the way. You know, what little kid wants to miss recess to go to the bathroom. This is a very real experience we're having, and we need to be prepared to um, respond appropriately. So, uh, 
Mark Thane is the superintendent of public schools in Montana's second-largest school district. Montana has the fourth-smallest K-12 population in the U.S., but this district has been ahead of the curve on transgender policy. We will regard uh, students by the gender uh, with which they identify and utilize the appropriate pronouns. Thane's district updated its inclusivity policy in 2015, including protections for gender nonconforming students in school and in extracurricular activities. In the olden days, we might not have had uh, partitions or dividers between urinals, uh, maybe even uh, stools in restrooms, and making sure that we do. Individual shower stalls, those kinds of things. In 2017, both Montana and South Dakota legislatures considered bills limiting transgender students' rights. Neither passed. And while schools in Montana and other western states now enjoy local control, Thane says he anticipates some policy challenges under the Trump administration. Uh, And I think that's unfortunate, again, because the students' best interests are what are critical in my mind. And uh, I think the failure to recognize this as a very real need would be a travesty. When Alex started elementary school, the O'Neills became hyper-aware of how often the students were separated by gender. And when they'd stand up to do their Christmas program, they, ha- they always, you know, sometimes they'd have the boys on one side and the girls on one side, and he would always be right in the middle. So he'd be on the edge so that he could, you know, scooch himself over to the boy part if he really had to. In the fall of Alex's second grade year, he made an especially touching plea to his parents. Begged and begged and begged us to buy him a little suit, um, pinstripe suit with a little vest for the Christmas program, or holiday program. <laughs> um you know, and he wrote this little heart heartbreaking letter about why he wanted to, and he was going to pay his own money, why he wanted to buy this little suit that he saw at Walmart. And I said, no, because everybody already thinks you're a boy. And then he wrote this little letter about, I'll tell everybody I'm not a boy, and please, please, please let me get it. So we, we get him this little suit, and he looked, you know, like the best-dressed little boy there. But Alex yeah, so was, was still legally Amy and a girl and spent the next two years uncomfortably walking that gender line. Well, it, it all kind of started when um, my husband and I were talking about someone else we knew that was going to start taking hormones to change their gender or, you know, become more masculine. And he was overhearing us. So he said, oh, you can do that. And then you could see an epiphany. Uh, kind of come over him that he realized that's who he was. I'm like, I want to be a boy, mom. I just, I don't feel like I'm a girl. Mark and Cheryl O'Neill's 10-year-old Amy had just told them he wanted to become a boy, a real boy. They asked Alex to write them a letter to put in writing what he was feeling. I mean, if you could, if you could have read that letter that he wrote to us, that was so. Um, he just said he felt so alone and like he was the only person in the world that felt this way, and he always, he always thought he should be a boy, and he didn't understand why he wasn't a boy. And so to know for him to realize that there were other people that felt that same way, I think, was just a huge, huge relief to him. Mark and Cheryl talked intensely with Alex over the next several days. The family was getting ready for a summer vacation when Alex broke the news to sister Karina and brother James. Um, Mom says that I might get to be a boy. And I was just like, what? That's like, wow. But then I thought about it and I was like, well, that makes sense. I think of him more as a boy than a girl, so. And his little brother, who's a couple years younger, um, he was okay with it too a little bit, but he, I think his big thing was he used to be the only boy. Cheryl and Mark told Alex he could try it out and live as a boy the entire vacation. That meant using the men's room and wearing a boy's swimsuit. I mean, he enjoyed it, embraced it. You could see he was comfortable in his own skin probably for the first time in his life. Uh, which was very neat to see. Mark and Cheryl knew making a change was the right thing to do for Alex, and they set about deciding on a new name. And all the names he picked out were from all the TV shows he's watching. 
you know, those tween Disney movies, <laughs> which made me roll my eyes. So I said, you know, I, you know, I got to name you the first, I get to pick your name. I said, it's just, it's just how it is. Your parents get to pick your name and you have kids, you can pick their names. So too bad. Once they decided Amy would now be Alex, they got ready to share the news. They were anxious about the reaction from their family, especially Alex's religious grandparents. I said, can you call him? Because I didn't really know what to say about it. Like, hey, Grandma, I'm Mom. I want to be a boy now. According to Mark, the grandparents were perhaps a bit confused, but totally supportive of their now grandson. Then Mark and Cheryl reached out to the parents of Alex's best friends. Um, their reaction was kind of like, well, we, you know, that's not news to us sort of thing. I mean, I don't really know if they thought he was transgender in that sense. All his friends were boys, first of all. And they, every, you know, they treated him as a, a boy, a friend of their kids, of their sons. Some of Karina's friends, but not her good friends, had a tough time with it. She's like, wait, so he's boy now. And he has a boy name. He does boy things. It's like, yeah, pretty much. Alex's best friend, no big deal. He really didn't treat me any different. He just just was like, okay, yeah, all right. And um, we're still really good friends. Alex petitioned a judge and legally changed his name with relative ease. That meant he could change his name on his Social Security card. But in his home state, Alex cannot change his gender on his driver's license nor his birth certificate without a doctor's certification. The doctor must show a patient has had clinical treatment for a gender change and that the change is permanent and complete. Other Western states have different rules about changing gender on legal documents. In Idaho, for example, no change is ever allowed to a birth certificate. In Utah, a gender change can only come by court order, and there is no standard from county to county nor judge to judge. Utah also requires a check of the sex offender registry for anyone petitioning to change their gender. I mean, this is my soapbox now. Why do we even know? You need to know if someone's a male or a female. Why is that on our driver's license? Why do you, when you fly on the plane, do you have to put male or female? Why, when you sign up application, do you have to put that? Because there's no real reason that anybody should need to know that, except if you're trying to find a mate. As summer ended, Mark and Cheryl let the elementary school principal, teachers, and counselor know Alex had legally changed his name and had transitioned to being a boy. Alex was the very first declared transgender student at his elementary, and on the first day of fourth grade, a challenge. She was having the kids sit boy, girl, boy, girl in the desks, which I didn't even enter my mind that that was going to be a problem. I'm just go sit in a boy spot. But, um, but apparently, you know, people who had known him before came up and said, you're not in the right spot. You need to move over. You're a girl. And a couple of buddies spoke up saying Alex is right where he's supposed to be. I'm glad that I picked the friends that don't care. Like they only care about who you are, not what you are. Classmates slowly got used to Alex being Alex, not Amy. And so did the family. The kid is the same kid and acts the same and treats his brother and sister the same. It's just a matter of now we're all calling him he instead of she. I sometimes mess up the name, but they never mess up the name. (laughs) But when it became apparent this change was going to stick, Mark found himself a little sad because he was so good in sports, uh, competing as a girl, it was uh, it blew me away. I liked to see that. I just I had a tomboy, and now I was going to lose that forever. Yeah, and I said, you never had one, because <laughs> we didn't. We never had a little girl. We did when he, when he was a baby, but, um, but he, was, he was never a little girl. I guess good for us uh, from that point on, the same kid that came home from the hospital that wouldn't smile and moped around and argued with everything and went against whatever the rest of the family wanted to do was all smiles uh, and just a happy, pretty much happy-go-lucky kid now. 
Alex began living as a boy, there was a remarkable change in him. Well, because I've started putting myself out there, and um, I'm just friendly and nice and stuff. So I We've seen him um, just become much more outgoing and much more confident. So confident, he so won the job of student body of. president at the start so, of his fifth grade year. This is what I said. All right, how are we all doing today? Good, good, good. I can't hear you. Good, good. All right. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, students and staff. But while Alex was getting himself elected, his mom was trying to find him a doctor. The O'Neills couldn't find anyone in their rural western town with experience with transgender kids. We, were her, we are actually her first transgender child patient. So it's not that it's all out there, but she was willing to... Um, you know, do her own research and help and help us. One of the O'Neill's first requests for this doctor, learning about and implanting a puberty blocker. Mark supported the medical intervention for Alex after meeting older transgender people. Kind of see if you transition late in life. Um, it's fairly obvious. And I think, unfortunately, those people are going to be subjected to a lot more uh, harassment. The hormone blocker is encased in a plastic bar, surgically tucked just under the skin below the armpit. It blocks female hormones, so Alex will not develop breasts nor have a period. There's an equivalent device to block male puberty. And I think if you transition sooner with the hormone blockers and hormones, uh, it will help them uh, fit into what society thinks. Now, I may not be as mind-blowing as Albert Einstein or as strong and fast as Michael Phelps. The mental health of transgender kids is most at risk in these tween years. The onset of puberty can trigger gender dysphoria, extreme distress over the mismatch between the developing body and a young person's sense of his or her own gender. That's the time that you're most vulnerable because you're going through so many changes that you don't want to happen, that that's, that's when kids get into trouble with depression and suicide and whatnot. The hormone blocker is coming into more and more common use for transgender kids so they can explore their gender identity before I, I really, puberty. I, I feel like we've had it pretty lucky because we've sort of known all along and we've not had to change too much and everybody's been really supportive and... Plus, we have a, a female to a male, which is always somehow way more accepting than the other way around. The O'Neills say Alex will probably begin to take testosterone in the next few years and so undergo male puberty. But any decision on surgery of any kind is a long way off. I don't think that's a decision that we need to make right now, and I don't really know that he appreciates the you know, magnitude of that. It's still your body, so you can still respect it. And, you know, you know, not that it's a bad thing and that you want to cut parts off and whatnot, but that, you know, you can, you can still love your body and be transgender. Thank you. You have been a great, great audience, and I will be here all day. faced his toughest body issues in the sport he loves. Um, event three, the 100 IM. All three O'Neill kids swim competitively for their local YMCA. Alex competed well for the girls team last year, but his dad says he was obviously uncomfortable. He would have his cap and goggles on and he would always have a robe on uh, and he would only take it off. Everything was at the last minute. I didn't feel like I really wanted to go to any more meets if I had to stay swimming on the girls because it just didn't feel like me. I just felt weird. USA Swimming governs community swim clubs all over the United States, including the Y where Alex swims. Um, we believe that kids should be emotionally, physically, and sexually safe in sport. Director of Safe Sport for USA Swimming, Susan Wessner, works with local chapters with transgender athletes. She says their concerns are usually about two things, which events are appropriate and which swimsuit. 
USA Swimming has a very clear policy. Swimmers are allowed to choose the locker room, uniform, and team that match their gender identity. And we have mostly had a gratitude from coaches and clubs where there is a family um, or a transgender athlete who would like to participate and we're able to say, oh yeah, we have some guidelines for you. Here's When Alex asked to move to the boys team, he got immediate support from the coach. The boys team. And all I did was say to the coach, he wants to swim on the boys team. And she said, okay. But these inclusive rules aren't the norm, not in school-based nor non-school-based sports around the West, nor in college and Olympic athletics. Karina says when Alex began swimming with the boys' team at the Y, some of their teammates quit coming to practice. Really confused, and there are a couple people that took a few months off, and then when they came back, and they called him a she, and so we just had to keep explaining it to them that it was he now. But on this day, for the first time in a major meet, Alex lines up with the boys. I think he's a pretty good athlete, though. I think he can. I think he can hold his own. I just can't wait to feel that water just rushing on my back and stuff and my stomach when I get to be on the boys. Wessner admires young transgender athletes for standing up for themselves in a sport that is so divided along gender lines. How much these kids must love swimming um, and that you know we have a shared love for swimming and that brings us to a, a shared place to start with. They were all still like supportive, like good job and good luck and stuff like that. So made me feel good. In June, the fifth graders at Alex's elementary school welcomed their families for a send-off to middle school and a trip down memory lane. Alex won't be the first transgender student at his middle school, and he says he's looking forward to being Alex and not Alex who used to be Amy. His parents know the teenage years are just ahead with the parenting challenges there, and with Alex, dating will bring some additional concerns. I think the kids will be fine. I don't know about the parents. You know, how the parents would feel if their kid came home and said, I'm dating so-and-so who's transgender. They might be happy. (laughs) The O'Neills are already talking to 11-year-old Alex about when, how, and if he'll share his status with the people he meets. We're not worried about the kids that he deals with. We're worried about, more worried about their parents Uh, instilling the parents' values on their kids directed at our son. So far, there have been no issues of Alex being bullied or harassed, but middle school brings new circumstances. But I do sometimes worry about his safety, so I just want him to make sure he surrounds himself with people that he trusts and that are going to, you know, watch his back. Alex has his parents, siblings, family and friends firmly in his corner. Because he has a lot of close friends right now that are going to go with him to the same middle school. And so then if anyone else is going to be a jerk to them, they're going to stand up for him and I will compound anybody that's really mean. His parents have tried to protect him from stories of intolerance and violence against transgender people, but know they can't live their lives in a bubble. This was never even on my radar. Didn't even know it existed. Uh, Now... We see it. Uh, He's not alone. At the end of the day, the O'Neills worry about Alex the same way they worry about all three kids. You want your kid to grow up and be happy and be able to, you know, love somebody and have someone love them back. But I'm not so worried about that anymore because I've seen I've seen enough transgender couples that have found each other that I think that that's entirely possible. The O'Neills have let Alex take the lead in his very personal journey. He's just, you know, I guess he's fitting right in and I think that's what he wants to do. Oh, good times. We've embraced it and let him know that we embrace it and let him know that we love him and here's your journey and we're going to be here with you. And on this day, Surrounded by friends and family who know him well, all is right 
in Alex's world. That made me really happy when um, I knew I could just be a boy. Reporting from the Rocky Mountain West, I'm Denise Dowling. Denise Dowling is a professor of journalism at the University of Montana. Financial support for this project came from the School of Journalism and the University of Montana's Faculty Research Fund, with special thanks to Montana Public Radio. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. And uh, that's the documentary, Alex Not Amy, Growing Up Transgender in the Rural West. That was first broadcast on Montana Public Radio earlier this year. We're going to continue this theme. We're talking about transgender kids, and uh, we'll have a conversation with the producer and uh, host of that documentary, Denise Dowling. We'll also be talking with Ann Travers, author of the book, The Transgeneration, How Trans Kids and Their Parents Are Creating a Gender Revolution. That conversation begins following this break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Utah Humanities, improving communities through ideas and action. Online at utahhumanities.org. Hi, I'm Steve Williams, host of Jazz Time on Utah Public Radio. If you enjoy tuning into my program Sunday nights, then come join me at UPR's upcoming events, Blues, Brews, and Barbecue on July 29th. We'll listen to music from Nora Barlow and the Sammy Hickson Blues Band with Jim Schaub and Doug Jones, performed outside of the beautiful vineyards at Mount Naomi Farms. I'd love to meet you and talk blues and jazz over some barbecue food and live music. To get your tickets, just go to upr.org. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Apogee Instruments, a Cache Valley company building precision sensors that support global research and sustainable food production, renewable energy, and climate change. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about uh, trans kids on the program today. We have heard earlier in the program that half-hour radio documentary, Alex Not Amy, and uh, we're going to talk with the producer of that documentary, Denise Dowling, uh, who is associate professor in the School of Journalism at the University of Montana. Um, and uh, she joins us uh, for the rest of the program. Denise Dowling, welcome. Um, it's Ann Travers, author of The Transgeneration. Uh, Denise. Y- uh, yes, uh, hopefully we have both of you on. Denise is here. Okay. Hi, Denise. Oh, okay. Thank you. Sorry <laughs> okay. to all right. mess up your broadcast. Uh, oh, no, no problem at all. And uh, so we welcome Denise in, and we welcome in Ann Travers, uh, who is Associate Professor in the Department of Sociology and Anthropology at Simon Fraser University, author of The Transgeneration, How Trans Kids and Their Parents Are Creating a Gender Revolution. Uh, Ann Travers, welcome. Thank you. Let me start with you, Ann Travers. Uh, how prevalent uh, is it for kids and teens to identify as uh, transgender these days? Well, the the Williams Institute out of UCLA did a survey of young people recently and found that out of uh, 137 youth, one will identify as transgender. And I'm convinced that if our environments more, were more welcoming for trans and gender nonconforming kids, that that number would be higher. Uh, Denise Dowling, do you, do you think that's the case as well? I do. Uh, However, there is a more recent survey from the Williams Institute that I spoke about in the documentary that surveyed California teenagers with 27% of them uh, saying that they consider themselves gender nonconforming. So that number that Anne spoke about has um, gone up dramatically in California, at least. Uh, so that uh, the, the numbers of uh, kids reporting, uh, this might increase as the, perhaps some of the barriers go down. Um, uh, let me ask you, Denise Dowling, first on this question, uh, what are some of the, the problems and dangers for trans kids? You, you enumerate some of these in the documentary. There certainly are incredible barriers for these young people. They face discrimination um, at school, at home, tragically. And as you heard those numbers, there is a a great number of transgender kids who consider 
or attempt suicide because of what Anne was talking about, the lack of acceptance and understanding in the greater world. And Travers, for your book, you interviewed many uh, kids, right, and their parents. Uh, mm-hmm. What are what are some of the problems that you uh, that the kids themselves were telling you about? Well, some of the kids reported um, violence, hostility, teasing, uh, bullying, and not just by peers, but sometimes by teachers and school administrators. Uh, some kids talked about the difficulty of participating in sport um, if they identified differently than what was on their birth certificate, or if neither category, neither side of the binary worked for them, they really had difficulty figuring out how to participate in sport. Uh, Denise Dowling, Alex, in your documentary, uh, seemed not to have a problem with, uh, you know, Alex said, I want to be on the boys' team, and they said, okay, but but you say in the documentary that's not uh, usually the norm. Well, this is um, USA Swimming, that has that very specific policy. Um, you will find around, especially around the rural West, that different sport teams, especially those affiliated with schools, have different rules. And um, a lot of those rules come from, for example, the high school sport organizations in that particular state. Um, there are challenges and barriers to participating in sports for young transgender athletes. And Travers, did you uh, do you have kids you interviewed that were having uh, uh, troubles um, in that arena, sports? Yes, I did, and I, I had one um, young man who actually identifies as non-binary, but he transitioned to a male identity because he wanted to participate in sport. Um, I talked with another trans kid who didn't transition, so they could continue participating in sport. Um, and I also talked to a number of trans kids who said that. You know, maybe they'd like to participate in sport, but they were having so much trouble just being able to show up at school and function in their day-to-day life that sport was, you know, the farthest thing from their minds. Uh, let me start with this, with, with Ann Travers. Um, some people at a certain segment of society are very uncomfortable with, uh, you know, with... with um well, trans people, trans kids, um, and uh, we see this manifest in the bathroom bills. You know, conservatives, uh, mm-hmm. some states are uh, passing the uh, uh, bathroom bills. I wonder if you talk a little bit about that. Well, it's really troubling because one of the, you know, the, the real difficulties for trans kids is that sometimes they're prevented from using the bathroom that they feel most comfortable in or they're prevented from using the bathroom, period, because they're, you know, they're teased by kids. They're considered not to be appropriately gender-conforming enough to use a specific bathroom. And the, the bathroom bills are particularly cruel because everybody needs to go to the bathroom, I don't know how often I go to the bathroom, but I go every day, a number of times. And to imagine trying to function without ready access to a bathroom is really disturbing. And a number of the kids that I've interviewed actually hold their pee all day. They avoid drinking, and they hold it. And, um, you know, in a couple of cases, the kids have ended up with serious health problems because they've, you know, they've actually damaged their bodies by holding it all day. And... Some of the parents that I spoke with who are highly educated, really effective advocates for their trans kids have not been able to create safety in their kids' schools. And, you know, it's, re- it's really troubling. Denise Dowling, you, in the documentary, uh, Alex does this. His mother doesn't, doesn't know, but Alex holding it all day right. because of discomfort. Right. Um, it's interesting, isn't it, Tom, how much of the discussion revolves around the bathroom issue when in reality, and, and Cheryl alludes to this in the documentary, um, Alex's mom, why do we need to know? Um, look, our bathrooms at home are all multi-gender use. So why do we have to have this issue? Why can't all our bathrooms be for any gender? You have stalls in there. What does it matter? Hmm. I I agree. I think that um, something that could happen which would be really healthy for everyone is starting in kindergarten, if bathrooms are all gender, and we taught kids appropriate bathroom etiquette so that bathrooms are places where everybody would feel comfortable, then I think that, you know, having all gender bathrooms would be perfectly appropriate. And, you know, they'd be just available. So, Ann Travers, uh, one of the reasons brought up, you know, when you hear the passage of the bills, 
the bathroom bills is safety. That's that's uh, that's the main reason I think that's uh, that's used. Well, you know, on, people are motivated sometimes by fear. And wouldn't it be great if we could keep our children safe from sexual abuse by being able to clearly identify, you know, a minority of people who are the real threat? But that's just not how it works because trans people are not threats to other people in the bathroom. Trans people are actually more likely to be victimized in bathrooms. Like the the lack of safety in bathrooms is something trans people experience. Trans people are not a threat to people in bathrooms. You know, the FBI identifies the major threat to children in terms of sexual abuse as being heterosexual men who are known to the victim. So in a lot of ways, we're we're targeting trans people as the, the source of a problem that has absolutely nothing to do with us. It's, you know, a, a much more complicated and difficult problem about keeping children safe. And targeting trans people is not going to keep children safe at all. In fact, it will harm trans kids. Denise Dowling, um, it's interesting to hear the Alex, of course, uh, on this journey, but also his parents. Um, it's, it's a journey. Uh, but they uh, interesting line from the documentary. Uh, the parents are saying they're they're letting Alex take the lead. In uh, this they journey. are yes, and I think that's that that is the way of it. Um, these parents are struggling for any kind of data um, on if they react this way, then this will happen, and that is. To me, what's really interesting about Dr. Olson, um, University of Washington, who was in the beginning part of that documentary, uh, she is looking at uh, young people who have transitioned, who are um, living their gender identity, and finding out what impact that has on their mental health. Um, I think that that's going to be a fascinating study over the next 20 years as these kids continue down that road with the support of their parents. Um, Just so you know, when I was working on this documentary, I was working on a lot of different stories about um, young transgender people in the rural West. And Alex's story is unique in that he has such great support from his parents and his family. And I think that that's happening more and more. And Anne would probably be able to speak to that. But Alex is in a relatively unique position in that um, his his gender identity was known to his parents from a very, very early age. And as Cheryl says in the documentary, they didn't really have a tough time with it because things didn't really change for them. Alex had always been a boy. Um, but for other parents, I think it is more difficult, especially if the change comes later and if the parents didn't see it coming. But there is more and more help out there for parents of transgender kids just in terms of um, um, approaches, what they can do to support their child's mental health. And I think with Dr. Olson's study out of UW, there's going to be even more information for parents who are, um, I don't want to say struggling, but who are confronting this issue with their child. And Trevor's, I wonder about that. You've interviewed a lot of uh, kids and their parents. Um, I guess a a variety of experiences, I would expect. Yes. And um, yeah, I only interviewed parents who are supportive of their trans kids. So that's, um, you know, that's a a particular population. And some had a bit of an adjustment for sure, but one thing that they all had in common is that they listened to their children and they noticed their kids were were experiencing real distress about not being recognized as the gender that they actually are. And they responded to this. I mean, some, some were not surprised at all because they had a two-year-old saying, I'm a girl, like right, right from the beginning. You know, and others, you know, they, for sure they had a little bit of an adjustment. A couple of kids that I interviewed said their parents said, couldn't you just be gay? Which I think is really, it, it says that we've made some progress in the sense that, you know, parents now seeing, see being gay as an easier road than being trans. But, you know, they quickly came on board because they love their kid and they you know, the, the parents that I interviewed followed their children's lead. And I think that's important. If we allow all kids to determine their own gender, they're going to be better off. Well, to follow up to that, Ann Travers, uh, some objections that I hear are that, you know, uh, kids, you know, especially young kids, uh, can we really 
trust them to make that decision. Uh, is it, <laughs> you know, we, 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 uh, we, we don't trust kids to make to other, some other decisions, for example. We're, we're very careful about making that transition. Uh, so some people have discomfort with, uh, with – would have discomfort with perhaps, perhaps this idea of Alex taking the lead um, and, and other kids taking the lead that the parents should have a little more control over that. But gender identity is so deeply personal. It's, it's, it's too personal for somebody else to decide for you. And, I mean, there are occasionally, very occasionally, kids whose gender identities change further. One of the kids I interviewed was a trans girl and was very, very happy as a girl until uh, they reached about 13 or 14, and then they decided that actually a non-binary identity was more comfortable for them. Um, and their attitude about it is to say, well, you know, being a girl was really important to me, and that's who I was. But, you know, now I feel more like this. And the idea that people have to be one thing constantly and that we have to fix people in a gender category and force them to stay in it, whether it's the one assigned to them at birth or the one that they affirm themselves, I think is is unreasonable. I mean, people go through different things in life, and gender identity for many people, is fixed. They feel very, very clear about it. But for others, they may change. So I think the fear that a child may change their mind in the first place, most, most trans kids, they don't change their mind. But, you know, let's say 1% do. Well, what's the harm in that? Uh, Denise Dowling, uh, one decision, one, uh, one thing that, uh, you know, trans kids can do, they have access to this, or at least some do, is uh, what uh, hormone blockers, puberty blockers... Uh, Alex is, I think, looking into this. Um, Alex has a puberty blocker. And that was um, one of the very first things when they found a doctor who would take their take their child as a patient. That's one of the very first things that they did was have a puberty blocker implanted. As Mark, Alex's dad, said um, that in his experience, he had seen people who had transitioned when they're older and that he thought it was a safety issue allowing his son to... Um, implant that puberty blocker and then in the future uh, begin to take testosterone, he sees that as a safety issue for his kid. And I just want to, I want to remark on something that you asked Anne, Tom, and that's when you were talking about, um, you know, is this a decision that kids make or should be allowed to make on their own is that it's not a decision at all. It's, it's there, as Anne was saying. It is, it is deeply embedded in their, in their souls, um, and it's not, it's not a decision to be made except for whether to allow that child to live their gender identity. And Trevor's, um, you, very interesting. You talk, uh, you say all children and families do gender work. What do you mean by that? Well, it's amazing how much cultural energy goes into teaching kids that there are only two sexes and telling them which one they are. Um, it's, it's amazing. Now they do gender reveal parties, and that's when the baby is still in utero to announce its genitals to the entire world because there's a, an expectation that these genitals signify something really significant. It, you know, the kind of clothing that they're going to wear, the kind of activities they're going to enjoy, the kind of people they're going to become. Um, if, if you completely take for granted the two-sex system, then it, you don't really notice it, but it's so pervasive. I mean, go into any store that sells things that, you know, children use or consume, and you'll note that the, there are sections for girls and sections for boys. Um, we generally, like, we regularly make comments about what girls are like and what boys are like and what activities they enjoy. So we're doing an incredible amount of work to create something that most people think is natural, but we're actually doing an incredible amount of work so that everybody takes it for granted. But in fact, we're all participating in you know, a very uh, deep gender system. We uh, just have uh, about a couple minutes left. I want to uh, have each one of you, uh, the thing you'd most like people to know about uh, trans kids, uh, uh, starting with Denise Dowling, and then we'll give Ann Travers the last word. Just a, just a minute, Denise Dowling. 
Well, I would like people to know that trans kids are just like your kids, just like any other kids. Um, they have a different gender identity, but other than that, they are as normal and wonderful and troubling as any other young person. I hope that we can all open our minds a bit so that these young people don't have the struggles that they've had up to this point in our schools, at home, with their family and friends. And I think that Anne is right that this generation is going to um, create a new understanding of gender, um, much like, oh, you know, 50 years ago when we were um, struggling to understand people who were gay. Um, I do believe that people will have more of an understanding of transgender people and that I hope that people will continue to educate themselves and just learn about what's happening in this gender revolution. We have about a minute left. We'll give the last word to Ann Travers. Well, I think the thing I'd like you to know is that the majority of trans kids are invisible, so they're in any group of children. You may not think that you know trans kids, but you do. They just don't feel safe to show themselves. With this in mind, therefore, it makes sense to stop organizing children in terms of sex categories, because for trans kids who don't feel safe to come out, you avoid putting them in a, in, you know, having them experience a sense of crisis by having to pick a side. So, Stop, stop organizing kids in terms of gender, and that will be helpful. The other issue is that um, access to trans-affirming health care is very uneven. I think it's $1,400 for hormone blockers per month. So for families who don't have medical insurance or kids who don't have parental support, this is a huge problem. And indeed, it, it, you know, it, sometimes it, uh, it results in suicide and real serious mental health struggles. We'll uh, leave it there, of course, much more to say, um, but we appreciate uh, our guests, which have included Ann Travers, uh, Associate Professor in the Department of Sociology and Anthropology at Simon Fraser University, author of The Transgeneration, How Trans Kids and Their Parents Are Creating a Gender Revolution. Uh, Ann Travers, thank you so much. Thank you. And Denise Dowling has joined us, Associate Professor in the School of Journalism at University of Montana, producer of the documentary, which we heard earlier in the program, Alex Not Amy, Growing Up Transgender in the Rural West. Denise Dowling, thank you. Thank you, Tom. And uh, thanks so much for listening to Access Utah. Hey, I'm Chris Delatore, and for Tom Power. Simon Pegg won the fanboy lottery. He was once a fan of Mission Impossible and Star Trek and Star Wars, and he now appears in all of those franchises. But as you'll hear, sometimes the lottery comes with a price. That's coming up on Q from PRI Public Radio International. Utah Public Radio would like to thank our partner, the USU Office of Global Engagement, for sponsoring the UPR original series, Crossing Borders. Find out how you can become a sponsor of a UPR original series by calling 435-797-3138. Happy 65th anniversary, UPR. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR, Logan. KUSK, Vernal. KUSL, Richfield. KUST, Moab. KCEU, Price. KUSU, FM, Logan. Also heard at upr.org.